right. Everybody doing good today? Man, some of you guys sound good. Well, uh, listen, we are in our uh, second uh, week of our series, uh, Feelings or Not. And uh, hopefully you guys are not in here or all week have been all up in your feelings, right? But you've been up in God's Word. You've been into God's Word. You've been digging into God's Word because that's the foundation. We talked about it last week. Feelings are not truth. And feelings can ebb and flow. They can be up and down. And uh, so they can kind of get in the way of what really uh, matters most. And that's God's Word. That is truth. And so hopefully this week you guys have been making your decisions based on what truth you know, God's Word says rather than what you feel. And uh, I, I had someone this past week ask me, they said, hey, I feel like this. And I said, hey, you might want to look at some facts and not necessarily your feelings, right? Feelings can be a good thing, but they can take over. And uh, so today we're looking at uh, the second part of the series is feelings are not my compass. They're not my compass. So they're not what gives us the best direction sometimes. They can mislead us. And so today we have a very special guest speaker, uh, Pastor Andre, and uh, he is from South Africa, and he's going to come. He's going to do the message today. And, uh, and I, what I believe, how God's going to speak to us about how he guides us and he gives us a mandate that we're to follow. And so that's the best compass. And so uh, Pastor Andre is uh, one of the guys that we support. So many of you guys know that through the Big Give, we support a lot of different missions and ministries. And one of those is called Africa, which is Pastor Ken Gallion here and his wife, Renata. So, Ken, you throw your hand up right there. That's Pastor Ken. I know I can't see him online, but that's him. And uh, so y'all welcome Pastor Ken there. But Andre is a partner that we made uh, through, through these guys, and they both partnered together. So, Pastor Andre, make your way on up here. Yeah. And uh, if y'all would give a warm journey welcome to Pastor Andre. Welcome, brother. Have fun, man. Uh, just bring the word. It's all on you. Love you, buddy. Good morning, Jenny Church. Um, in South Africa, in my native tongue, Afrikaans, we say, Goeiemorra. So I, I want to throw that out there, and I want you to say that back to me. Just, I'm missing my wife, I'm missing my children. So, Goeiemorra. Oh, that was pitiful. Give it. Goeiemorra. You just spoke Afrikaans. Pastor Mike, uh, it's always an honor to, to stand over here. I call him Uncle Mike. In South Africa, uncle is a term of endearment. He ain't really my uncle. But um, thank you uh, that you, you trust me uh, over here and that I can share God's word concerning missions. I appreciate that. You guys are involved in phenomenal stuff, not only in your community, but uh, across the globe and in Africa especially. And um, uh, in April, uh, Pastor Mark Lowry and, and, and a group of, of of your congregants will be traveling to Africa. And we want to show you a video now of what you are currently involved in, invested in, and what they as a team are going to be partaking in when they are in Africa in April. Due to the partnership that has developed between Africa for Jesus and Call to Africa, this video will clearly outline ministry structure, function, and responsibility pertaining to this partnership and in relation to the path. Both ministries stand alone as unique entities that exist with very similar visions and ways of functioning. Call to Africa specializes in African outreach, training of pastors, mission mobilization, training conferences, and social upliftment. Africa for Jesus has a campus in South Africa and one in Lesotho. The ministry specializes in gap year discipleship training of young adults, training of pastors, African outreach, mission mobilization, and social upliftment. Together we can list both ministries' core functions as African outreach, mission mobilization, discipleship training, the training of pastors, and social upliftment, which includes medical clinics, 
providing water wells, supporting orphanages, feeding programs and paying for adult education. Recently, the ministries embarked upon a joint venture of taking the continent of Africa with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The practical means of achieving this goal and vision was through the development of an easy-to-understand Christian curriculum called The Path. The Path is one curriculum in three parts. The School of Discipleship, the School for Pastors, the School of Missions. Essentially, The Path is a Bible school within 400 printed pages. The Path now stands as the primary focus of both ministries and all existing ministry functions now operate through the vision of taking the continent with the Path. Together with many individuals and official ministry partners, the Path will be launched across 10 African nations in April of 2024. By 2028, the goal will be to have the Path firmly established in multiple locations across 30 African nations to have over 250 trainers and ambassadors dedicated to the vision of the path, to have 30 partnering churches, ministries, businesses and organizations committed to the vision of the path and the establishment thereof across the African continent, and to have the path successfully and accurately translated into French, Arabic and Swahili. The number one cry of need from pastors as we travel and work across Africa is come and train us and our people. With over 55 years of combined ministry experience on the African continent, we can confidently say that the path is a biblically sound, easy to understand, practical curriculum dedicated to meeting this very need. The path is structured to explain the Bible, to help believers grasp key components of the Christian faith, to train pastors, to make Christ known and to make disciples of all nations. We live in exciting times. We live for a moment such as this. May the Lord speak to your heart and may He guide your steps. Isn't that just wonderful what the Lord is busy doing? It's a great testimony. Father, today as we learn from your word, may your Holy Spirit speak to us and, and move us in steps of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to study from Romans 10. Romans 10 from verse, from verse 13. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never ever heard of? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I heard that, that recently there have been 20 people who've committed their lives to the Lord in this congregation, and that's phenomenal. And I'm speaking to those new believers today, and I'm speaking to those of you who have been walking a path with Jesus for some time, but I, I think that the Lord wants to push you to the next level, the next place of obedience, an upgrade, if you were. 
And then I'm also speaking to those of you who have been in the faith for many, many years, serving the Lord faithfully and at many times um, tiresomely to encourage you not to stop what you are doing. Because we do what we do because we want, to, we want to be there when Jesus puts his arms around us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. So that's who I'm speaking to this morning. Feelings are not our compass when it comes to missions. It's not a feeling thing. It's about obedience to God's word. That's what it's about. You know, after Paul's conversion, what followed was obedient proclamation. That's what followed. You know, feelings, feelings don't endure whipping or stoning or shipwrecks. Obedience does. Obedience does. And whether you're introverted, extroverted, whether you're a preacher or not, as a Christian, conversion should lead to a radical conviction. In other words, we, we believe what we believe because we've been saved. It has to lead to, to radical love for God and radical love for people. And it has to lead to radical proclamation. Are we all called to be missionaries? No. I wish I could say that, but no. We're not all called to be missionaries. But check this out. God is most definitely on a mission to make his name great amongst the nations. And every one of us here today are called to be a part of his mission. Wherever that may be and whatever that may look like. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, it says that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who has pulled us from darkness into light. That's at the very least what we should be doing. But when you read in Romans in, in, in chapter 15 from verse 24 to 30, as Paul's going out and he's on his way back to Jerusalem and he's going to work amongst the poorest saints over there, he says, I need your help with two things. I need material assistance to help those who are in need and I need intercessory prayer. So at the very, very, very least, every single one of us that are here today should be proclaiming the excellencies of God who has pulled us from that bad, terrible place where we used to be and I know where I come from. And how he took us from there into light. We ought to be proclaiming his excellencies because of that. And we should be giving towards the proclamation of the gospel and the spreading of the gospel out there. And we should be praying for one another. And we should be praying for missionaries who are out there on the front lines proclaiming the gospel even unto death. And if you look at, at today's passage, Paul is making a statement and then he is following it up with four rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question does not need to be answered. It's there to make a point. The statement that he makes is, is everyone, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the statement. And then Paul goes, and he's like, how? How are they going to call if they don't believe? How are they going to believe if they're not hearing? How are they going to hear if no one's preaching? 
And how are they going to preach if they're not being sent? And if I, if I had to read that backwards to you, it's, it's going to sound like this. There needs to be sending from the church so that there can be preaching, so that people are able to hear, so that people are able to believe, so that they can call upon the name of the Lord so that they can be saving. That's how it works. And that's the argument Paul's making. It's like, guys, it's obvious. He's like, duh. <laughs> you don't get this? Paul knew this. Paul preached it. And he did it. And he lived by it. And, and that's our challenge here this morning. My um, theme for the past year, year and a half of, of my life, as I've been going around preaching on missions and trying to mobilize people to get engaged, has been, why not me? Why not now? Why can't I be used of God? Why can't I be part of what God is doing in the world? Why can't I go on missions? Am I too old? Am I too, am I too young? Am I too quiet? Was I too sinful in my past? But I'm hoping that today you're going to get a breakthrough, a why not me, why not now breakthrough. And in order for that to happen... We need to understand three things clearly. We've got to understand the gospel. We have to understand the mandate. And you have to understand the history. In other words, how we got here this morning. If you understand those three things and you embrace those three things, you're going to get that breakthrough. And things are going to start happening in your life. And you better hold on tight because it's going to be awesome, scary, and phenomenal. So let's jump away with understanding the gospel clearly. In Luke 2 verse 10, it says, And the angels said to them, that's the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. You know, the good news is only good news if it reaches somebody on time. And the good news is only good news if you truly understand the bad news. Or else, why is, it, why is it good news? Why is it good news? So, so let's take a moment and, and, and focus on the bad news this morning. What is the bad news? Well, we're talking about what it looks like without Christ. What does a life look like without Christ? And I can resonate with this. And maybe many of you yeah, can also, because I know what it was like when I was in my 20s and I was without Jesus. I know what that looks like. I know what that feels like. And I know the hurt that I caused many people in my family. So without Christ, we are separated from God. We are at war with God. And we are dead. That's the bad news. And it should make us shudder because it is alarming. Separated from God. Ephesians 2 verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers from the covenants of promise. 
having no hope and without God in the world. That hurts. I highlighted a couple of words. Without Christ being alienated, strangers, no hope without God in the world. That's what it means to be separated from God. And that's default without Jesus. At war with God. Andre, really? At war? Such a strong word. Romans 8 verse 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. And that word enmity means hostility and hatred. Your flesh, my flesh, hates God and is hostile towards Him. That's what it means. It's at war. And then dead in our sins. Romans 6.23 says that the, the wage, the payment that we get for our sin is death. That's the bad news. Now, I come from a place called Kimberley in South Africa. It's famous for diamond mines, De Beers diamond mines. Many of the diamonds in the crown jewels come from my hometown. And if you go buy a diamond, you know, the jeweler doesn't take the diamond and put it on a white piece of paper. It gets lost. You ain't going to see it clearly. No, what does he do? He takes a black piece of satin or silk, and, and he'll throw it out there, and then he will put the diamond on that black canvas. And it's exactly the same with the gospel. The gospel radiates and pops and is beautiful and is magnificent, just phenomenal when you place it on the canvas of depravity. If you don't understand depravity, if you don't understand that bad news, you'll never understand what the good news is and why you need to be saved. So what's the good news? What's the good news? I have got good news. It's coming. You're no longer separated, but reconciled with God. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says that all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. How? Through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Comma, and now it gets interesting, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Hey. We are reconciled and then given, granted, mandated that ministry of reconciliation. We're no longer at war, but at peace. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, faith in who? In Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? There's no longer war but peace. And then we're no longer dead We've been made alive. Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy. Oh, and how much mercy? But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. There's that word dead again. 
He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Isn't that beautiful? You see how the good news pops when you understand the bad news? The good news is good news because what what was separated and what was an enemy and what was dead was shown mercy, was embraced, was granted peace, was granted forgiveness, and was given eternal life. What was dead was made alive. And listen to this. Absolutely undeservingly. I didn't deserve it. I absolutely did nothing in my own strength to be saved. It was purely because of His love and His grace and His mercy for a cocaine-snarfing drunk who hated God. Number two, we've got to understand the mandate. I want to tell you something this morning. Ultimately, all these trips, all these mission trips, it's all going to end. Ultimately, it's not about missions. It's about worship. It's about worship. I was very blessed on my first trip to the United States. I was dragged to the Iron Bowl. <laughs> I say dragged, but wow, that was mind-blowing. And, and I'm just going to hurt some feelings here. I didn't even know how the game worked, and we had tickets on the 40. Oh, man. I always get that, and I'm like, but what was crazy is I was surrounded by 100,000 people. In South Africa, our biggest stadium takes about 55,000. So 100,000 people. Now, I want you to sit there, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you, to, I want you just to imagine the biggest stadium that, that you've been in. Just, just picture that, the biggest stadium you've been in. Just go back to that memory. In my case, it was the Iron Bowl. Now, I want you to multiply that by 10. And I want you to picture and imagine how big the stadium needs to be to accommodate, let's say, a million people. Now, I want you to multiply that by 50. How big is it now? How big is it looking now? And now multiply it by 100. And now I want you to picture and think of how big the throne room of God must be. And now I read to you from Revelation 7 verse 9 where it says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude of people that nobody could even number. From every nation, every tribe, every people and language. And they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were dressed in white and they were holding palm branches. And you know what they were all doing? They were worshiping God. Ultimately, we are gathering worship unto the King of Kings. But nobody, nobody mandates the Great Commission more clearly 
and Jesus Christ himself. Where he says in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go and make disciples of all nations. Or in Mark 16 verse 15, Go into all of the world and preach the gospel, that good news that we just discussed, to every creature. Or in Luke 24, 47, that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be preached in His name to all nations. And that word nations is ethnos. It means ethnic people group. It means tribe. So it's not reach the country of India. It is reach every ethnic tribe of India. And there are ethnic tribes on this planet that are comprised of millions upon millions of people. That's what that means. But Jesus goes on, and in, in John 20, verse 21, I love this. He says, he says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so too I'm sending you. And then in Acts 1, verse 8, he says to them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we have the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be my witnesses, which is translated martyr. It's going to cost us our lives. You're going to be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And right there in Revelation, when we read about what the throne room of God's going to look like and those multitudes, multitudes of people that the eye could not even count, do you know what it says to me? It says that everything that Jesus said is going to happen is going to come to fruition. It's going to happen. Now I ask you today, do you seriously want to sit on the sideline while that's going on? In South Africa, we say, we say to somebody sitting on the sideline, we say, hey, you're watching a good game. I don't want to be on the sideline. Not after what he has saved me from. Not after the darkness where he has plucked me from undeservingly. I want skin in the game. And then we need to understand and look at our history. So you want that breakthrough? You want to seriously get engaged? Understand the gospel clearly? Understand the mandate that has been given to us. But folks, we've got to understand the history of how you and I got here this very morning. How did this happen? Acts 1 verse 8, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know that the gospel doesn't come from America. Sorry. It don't come from you. God has used your nation mightily for the spreading of the gospel. Don't misunderstand me. But it didn't originate here. It originated in the Middle East. And to the audience that would have been hearing those words, they would have understood that it's going to spread in the literal geographical area of Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Know this this morning. You and I are the ends of the earth. 
And it got to you and it got to me through the blood, sweat, tears, and sacrifice of faithful and obedient men and women, many of which died bringing it to us. And history is crying out to us, don't let this flame go out. To which we should be responding, absolutely not on my watch. And I'm a South African, and I look at your nation. And I've got to be careful now. Folks, don't let it go out on your watch. The gospel came, I stand here this morning, because the gospel came from Europe to the southern tip of Africa through missionaries like David Livingston. And today, we are sending missionaries back to Europe where churches have become nightclubs and secular humanism has taken over. Not on your watch, Christian. Not on your watch. C.T. Studd, he was a missionary And he went to China, and he helped bring the gospel to America, India, and Africa. And he left a wealthy life in England where he was not only from a rich family, but he was also the captain of the English cricket team. And he left it all to preach the gospel, and so that at the age of 70, he would die in a tent in Africa. I read a quote from C.T. Studd. My only joys, therefore, are that when God has given me work to do, I have not refused it. Or Henry Martin, he too was born in England, and he left for India at the age of 24, 24 years old. And there he translated the whole of the New Testament into Urdu and the Persian language. And then he was headed to Arabia to do the Arabic translation. And while crossing the deserts of Turkey, he died at the age of 30. God used him mightily for six years from the age of 24, and he laid his head down in the desert at 30. He's quoted as saying when he put his feet in India, he said, now let me burn out for God. And my favorite, David Livingston, he was mauled by buffalo. He was mauled by a lion that after his first missionary journey in Africa, he couldn't lift his one arm higher than this. And yet he kept on going back, kept on going back. He endured ridicule and criticism. He had malaria over 20 times. He lost his one child in Africa. He lost his wife in Africa. But he was used pivotly by God to make a way for the gospel up into Africa and to help in the abolishment of the slave trade. So much was he loved in Africa and valued and appreciated that when he died, his tribesmen friends cut out his heart, took his body to the ship, sent the body home, and said his heart will remain in Africa. A quote from David Livingston. Hold on to your Bibles. This one's going to hurt. Sympathy is no substitute for action. We don't want wishy-washy feelings. We want action based on the truth of God's word. Sympathy 
is no substitute for action. Now I ask you, what on earth made them do it? And what is still making people leave it all? To go to a foreign land, crossing cultural barriers, religious barriers, language barriers, to learn a language, translate the Bible, suffer disease and parasite. What makes them do it? I'll tell you what makes them do it. It's their love for God and it's their love for people because it's an agape love. It's a self-sacrificing love that expects absolutely nothing back in return. Love is tangible. At least it should be. It travels. It teaches. It preaches. It hugs. It talks. It prays. It anoints with oil. It defends. It laughs. It cries. It bleeds. It lays down its life. That's what love does. I'll tell you what made them do it. Their love and understanding of the gospel. A gratitude. A gratitude for the salvation that has come upon their lives. Obedience to the mandate. But you know what else made them do it? And still makes us go out there? It's on every page of the book that God is on a mission to make his name known. And we're supposed to be a part of that mission. If you look at the Abrahamic call in Genesis, God says to Abraham, go. He says, leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house to a land that I'm going to show you. And all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. In other words, he was saying to Abraham, he's like, I want you to make me known amongst all those tribes that were scattered at the Tower of Babel. I want you to make me known. From you will come a people, and that people will represent me and make my name known. And that mandate is on us, the church, today. They got it. They understood it. But what about David? We all know the story of David and Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 46, David's looking at Goliath, and he says to him, this day the Lord's going to deliver you into my hands, and I'm going to cut off your head, and I'm going to feed the bodies of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the beasts here on the ground. Why? So that the whole world will know that Israel has a God. It's missions. It's always about making God's name known amongst the nations. Or the Psalms, Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations of the earth. It's missions. Or the prophets. Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. Hosea 2, 23. And I'm going to say to them which were not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art our God. It's missions. Or Malachi 1.11, my name will be exalted amongst the nations. And you look at the, the apostles. God says to Ananias concerning Paul in Acts 9 verse 15, he says, go 
For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. In other words, the heathens and kings and children of Israel. It's all about missions. It's all about the proclamation of the name of Jesus. And it is our job. It's our job. Complacency is no longer an option. And I don't want to live like that, man. I don't want to live some wishy-washy life. I don't want to live for sport. I don't want to live for the television programs and the series and the binge-watching. There's more to life than what many of us are living for at this moment. And I don't mean to offend you. I'm giving you the truth, man. It's all going to end. And everything that was not for Christ and for His glory will be burnt up. A clear understanding of the gospel and the mandate and the example of those that have gone before us in obedience compels us to put our yes on the table. I say again, at the very least, at the very least, all of us should be proclaiming the excellencies of that one God who took us from darkness into light. At the very least, we should be at least giving for the proclamation of the gospel. And we should be praying. But I pray that after hearing a message like this, that people will put their yes on the table and say, well, I, I want to get engaged. I want to go beyond where I am now. I'm ready to make the sacrifices. I'm, I'm ready to seriously step out of my comfort zone. There are over 7,000 unreached tribes still on this planet. Tribes comprised of millions of people. Billions. In India alone, over 2,500 tribes that have never heard of the first coming of Christ. And we speak extremely nonchalant about the second coming of Christ. They've never heard about his first coming. Or in China, over 450. In Africa, 390 tribes that have never heard of his first coming. No witness of the gospel, let alone discipleship. What has missions got to do with you and me? Everything. You know, depravity is the uttermost terrifying place to be for any person. And it's default for everyone out there. And it is the Christian that has the only answer and remedy, and that's the gospel. Shame on us if we aren't sharing that with people boldly. Your boat, your car, your house, your investments, your business, your job, your farm, your degrees, all of it will eventually disappear. James 4 verse 14 says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I say it again that there is more to life than what many of us are living for today. 
There is a mandate, and there's a calling, and it is glorious, and it is beautiful, and it is fulfilling. It is the very thing that will fill the void in your life, and it is God-glorifying, and we are invited to partake in it. Take all that you are. Take your life. Take your marriage. Take your family and bring it all under the submission of Christ and His Word. And watch what He does for you. Feelings are not our compass. Obedience to His Word is. So why not me? Why not now? It is you. It is me. And it is now. I'm going to give you a moment to respond now. I can remember in 2006, and and let's just bow our heads in prayer. I can remember in 2006, a man walked into my studio. I was a photographer back then. And um, he challenged me in front of my staff members. And he said, you need Jesus and you need to come to one of my Bible studies. And I said, that's fine. I'll show up. And I said it very arrogantly. He challenged me in public. And I said, it's fine. I'll be there. My life has never been the same again after that. A few months later, I got married. And in front of 200 guests at our wedding, I stood up. And half my buddies were drunk out of their minds. And while they were laughing at me, I said, I'm going to work for Jesus full time. I'm going into the ministry. And the rest is history. There's something about making a public declaration. If you're sitting there and you've heard the gospel for the first time today, I want to tell you that that's mercy and that's grace and it's because God loves you. And your life can change like my life changed. All you need to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And maybe you're sitting there and you've been a Christian for a while, but there's this void still. God wants you to move and get engaged here locally and maybe even globally. So as we pray, You can pray with me. Father God, forgive me my sins. Father God, wash me clean with the blood of Christ. Father God, take what was broken and what is broken right now and make it whole, please. Father God, restore me restore my marriage, restore my family. And Father God, use me. Use me for your glory and for your name's sake. And as we go into worship now, I want to encourage you to make that declaration public. It's going to be people standing here that can pray for you. Be bold. Be bold and let the devil see you serious. In Jesus' name. Amen.